Board Gaming with Education, a podcast for anyone curious about how games and education mix. We explore various topics like game-based learning, gamification, and board games, and the impacts they have on learning. Here's your host, Dustin Stats. Welcome to episode number two of season seven. We are super excited to be back in the United States, in Los Angeles. We're sad to leave Taiwan, but we are also excited for this new chapter of Board Gaming with Education. In this episode, we have Melissa, and she talks about her experience using game-based learning and gamification. She talks about how she runs a Twitter chat called Games for Ed, and she discusses how she's learned from other educators and other teachers and how she's been able to apply some of those techniques in her classroom as well. So be sure to tune in for the episode coming up. Before we get into that episode, we want to announce our winners for our Season 7 giveaway, and that is Any and Dave. So congratulations on winning two Taiwan-themed board games. Any won Yes Ginseng. It's a, like a night market battle to see who can make the best Taiwanese food. And congratulations to Dave, who won Nerdy Inventions, which is a Taiwanese-designed game, and it's about creating the nerdiest invention. So congratulations again to Dave and Annie. And before we get into the episode, one other announcement about World's XP. We are moving along in the process. We are getting the video completed for the Kickstarter. We are also looking for play testers. So we are just about finished with uploading the prototype on the website GameCrafter, which is a print-on-demand board game website. So we can send out some prototypes. Also, if you're interested, you can check out the prototype and test it out in your classroom this fall or maybe even this spring. We hope to have the Kickstarter launched by the end of the fall, so stay tuned for that. If you have any questions, be sure to reach out. And as always, you can support our podcast on Patreon, Board Gaming with Education backslash support. There are loads of different ways, free and paid ways to support our show. This show is really made possible because of listeners like you and the community that is growing. Our Facebook page has over a thousand likes now and our Facebook group is really active, really engaged. It's awesome to meet new people joining the group every day. So be sure to check that out as well. That's game-based learning, gamification in education on Facebook. All right, let's get into the discussion. Welcome to Board Gaming with Education. I have a guest here with me from a very special state, dear to my heart, Nebraska. Um, And this guest is an educator in Valentine, Nebraska, and she teaches language arts to 11th and 12th grade students. And her name is Melissa Pilikowski. Melissa, would you mind introducing yourself, maybe sharing a little bit about your experience in education with our listeners? Oh, absolutely. So I've been teaching English language arts since 2001. And uh, currently I'm in Valentine, which is my fourth school. But as I mentioned to Dustin a few minutes ago, what's I guess special is I am back in the classroom where I originally student taught. So it's kind of a a full circle type of feeling that I'm back where I started. 
And the same thing can go for my education. I graduated from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln and went elsewhere for a couple of master's degrees. And now I'm working on my doctorate through University of Nebraska-Lincoln. So I guess I'm a person that I always kind of like to come back home when it's all said and done. That's Other- really awesome. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I, I was just going to say, otherwise, I've been using games in the classroom. I think I've always been interested in that, but really actively focused on using them since 2015 was when I first started piloting using gamification, especially. But I'm definitely more of a game-based learning teacher now. Yeah, that's something that I think... It seems like I'm pretty new into a lot of recent research. I mean, I've always kind of used like gaming elements in my class, but Mm -hmm. new into like looking into the field and researching more ways to apply it. But it seems like in education, there's that been a shift, right? From gamification to game-based learning. I think so, or at least I, I like to think so. And not that gamification can't be used really effectively. Um, But I like to think of it as, you know, game-based learning is how to teach, how to get kids learning, whereas gamification often becomes more of a way of motivating kids. And I like to focus on if, if your lessons, if your activities are motivating in and of themselves, you don't need a whole big in-depth layer of gamification over the top of it. Yeah, it's maybe just adding a couple sprinkles of theme that help to yeah. motivate the students a little bit. And, and some people do bo- use both. I mean, Michael Matera is one. He uses both gamification, but he's also a fantastic game-based learning teacher. And, you know, it both can definitely be used really well. Yeah, I love Michael Matera. I listen to his podcast as well. And I just listened to you on the on the well played oh, podcast. Yeah, so. that was a that was a fun Sunday. And you talk all about uh collaborative games, right? In that mm-hmm. episode. So and that's the well played podcast for anyone listening. Um I also I didn't realize you were a Lincoln alum, UNL alum yeah. as well. So and now you're doing the doctor program. I might have to reach out to you in the future about that program. <laughs> oh, oh, definitely. Yes, especially since you're coming back to the States here soon. Something to look into. It's a great program. Okay, awesome. So before we get too far into diving into games in your classroom, when was one time maybe you've learned something through a game? I keep thinking back to when I was growing up and I just played a lot of Monopoly. And maybe that's why it's no longer my favorite game anymore. I got overdone with it. But I think just the amount of mathematics in that game, and I always loved being the banker too. And I got so fluent with being able to do math in my head in that game. And I think it really did have a long lasting impact on me. So you're you're you would no longer play a game of Monopoly, you're saying? <laughs> no. Um I it has absolutely no draw for me whatsoever. I think once I realized that people had to actually start negotiating that that was an unwritten rule in Monopoly, I think that's maybe what scared me off 
Like I liked doing the math part, but when people started conspiring against me, I was, you know, I'm out now. (laughs) (laughs) You were the one with all the hotels and everything when everyone negotiated. How can we, how can we get these from her? (laughs) Yeah. If you could get the hotels on Park Place and Boardwalk, I mean, that was always my ultimate goal. Very cool. So you also mentioned you made a shift in your in your teaching a little bit from gamification to game-based learning. But what first sparked or maybe when did you first start using games in your teaching? I first started, well, it would have been the spring of 2015. And I kind of just went down a rabbit hole of gamification because I'd kept hearing that term. So I thought, well, that sounds really cool. I'd always been a proponent of fun and play in the classroom. So I started looking at and reading everything I could online, every white paper, watching every webinar. And I did kind of a pilot program. I don't want to say of gamification, but of kind of gamified learning in the spring of 2015. I used a platform that was used to be 3D Game Lab. It's now Resly. And I kind of did just a pilot program with my applied communication seniors, which is an English class for more business-based English. And I learned a lot from that of what works, what doesn't work. And then the next semester, so the 2015-2016 school year, I started using Classcraft in among or across all of my classes. And then I just started using a lot more games too. That was when we started Games for Ed. And I kept getting more ideas and more inspiration from people who joined in the Games for Ed chat. And the Games for Ed chat, maybe you can share a little bit about what that is. Oh, absolutely. So uh, Games for Ed is a Twitter chat. We host it on Thursday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern time in the U.S. And it's a chat that we started in 2016. Uh, Steve Isaacs and myself and Dr. Matt Farber, we saw just a lack of any type of a game chat online. And so we kicked off the Games for Ed chat. And it's really just about games in the classroom, but also experiential learning, constructivism, and overall play and engagement. So it's not fully about games necessarily every week, but those like-minded individuals who want to bring the game-like atmosphere to the classroom. Awesome. And we were talking before and we're saying how Twitter can be uh, a little challenging for someone first, first using it. And basically if I get this right, maybe you can help me. Cause I, I mentioned, I try to follow the chat, but I'm not a hundred percent sure if I am, uh, you kind of just search the, the hashtag games for ed and that's right. four, right? The number four the ed number four. Mm-hmm. during the time of the chat. And that's kind of live. Absolutely. Like if you're there, doing it Eastern time. And then maybe you can go back and like look at things that people talked about and reply. Is that 
Definitely. Is that how it works? Yeah. Um, uh, of course, every week there's people who can't get involved because you have other obligations. So even if you can't follow the chat live during that scheduled time, we get people who come back at a later time and peruse the chat. And sometimes then they add their own comments as well. I was noticing even this morning, I was seeing comments, replies to the chat from Thursday night. And right now it's Monday. So it kind of continues on. But ultimately, live is when most of the action occurs. And how you explained it is exactly how you do it. You just do the search the hashtag games for Ed on Twitter and make sure you probably want to click latest rather than top because then that'll give you the play by play live version. Okay, so you can yeah, you can check it in order. I think that's one thing I've I've struggled with that now will help me is I can I can go through it in order. Because I, I like and I mean you bring up some questions. I was just going back to one that I answered was um, you need to talk about what what do they call it fourth quarter or how do you make time throughout the school day to ensure you make connections with students and why is this important? And I think it's really cool that you talk about things that aren't necessarily oh maybe mm-hmm. this was something you you tweeted out but uh, I responded to yeah no that's but I yeah so it's not just always games though because like you said sometimes it's more about bringing those like-minded individuals together. You know, those of us who, yes, we like games, but we also think relationships are important. And we also think um, just experiences and engagement are vital in the classroom. And how do we bring those concepts in? And I think one thing that's really cool that you mentioned, the relationships is something that, that games help with as well. Oh, absolutely. I'm a huge believer in the power of games and relationships. And so often at the beginning of the year, teachers use those icebreakers, those get-to-know-you activities. Honestly, sometimes just playing games, having a few groups of games set up or even a full class game, that can be such a powerful get-to-know-you activity, even if it's not literally, even if the objective isn't to get to know each other. But games allow you to really get an insight into other people, into how they think, uh, their competitiveness, how they can work as a team, and also just those kind of side conversations. When you're working together and you're creating that shared experience, that creates a bond. And that can be even more powerful than, you know, a simple get to know each other by playing bingo and finding someone who went surfing this summer. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think, I don't think I could have said it better as, and it's that, that word that goes around the board game or tabletop community. The so, It's a social lubricant. I really, it really helps yeah. to to get to know people. Mm-hmm. So maybe you can share a little bit about uh, what were some challenges or some successes you've had using either game-based learning or gamification or anything related to games in your teaching? Well, the first set of challenges was when I did my pilot program in, what was it, 2015? 2015, Yes. I really thought by putting the entire curriculum into this 3D game lab, 
which had a leaderboard and it had badges. And I thought this is going to be the panacea and all the kids are going to absolutely love it. And it's going to be a fantastic experience. And I realized that was not the case. And it was a little bit of a hard pill for me to swallow to realize not all kids are going to be engaged by leaderboards or individual competition. And that external motivation will only go so far. Good things I got out of that experience was kids, and I can completely understand this, enjoy that ability to move forward on their own of being self-paced and working at their own speed. And so I kind of took that or those lessons, tried to focus less on leaderboards over the years. Classcraft has leaderboards, but they're more of a team-based. It's not the focus of Classcraft. And rather, I focus more on giving students choice in some of the assignments that they do, and also choice in their pacing or choice in what they want to work on first, which are really all parts of kind of game mechanics. Good games all include some type of choice. And if games don't have any choice, say like Candyland, there's really not much choice. We get tired of it quickly. So I use that choice a lot more throughout the year or throughout the years following. Otherwise, it's playing games. A lot of it is trial and error, especially when you're modifying games or creating your own games. I've created vocab dominoes, for example, and in some groups, the vocabulary dominoes where it's essentially like dominoes, except that you're playing with vocabulary words and definitions and you know, some examples, some photographs, and you try and make those connections like a domino game. And I've had some classes that it works really well in, and then some classes that it doesn't. So I think there's always that trial and error and iteration of trying to figure out why, why does it work here and not work there? I've used the same thing with code names, and sometimes it works great with vocabulary, and then other times it doesn't. So a lot of, just like education in general, a lot of it's iteration in seeing what's going to work with specific groups, what's not going to work with other groups. Yeah, I think you're 100% correct with iteration process. I mean, it's very similar to lesson planning too. We don't, we don't have 100% perfect lessons for 100% of our students. We have to choose what works and what doesn't and also make, make parts of it more than just one part of it available. Maybe maybe mm -hmm. we take two parts from a lesson and allow students to choose which way they want to maybe understand or learn this task. Yeah, it's even when kids just have that choice between two things that gives them even just a little bit more power. Personally, when I'm a student, you know, even or in professional development, if I have the choice between two things, I feel much more... I guess, agency for myself than if I'm just told you will do this one thing at this time. 
Right. I think, and you're, you mentioned you are a writer as well. And I think that's really important for students in school when it comes to reading, when they're being forced to read a book, or maybe they have these two different books to understand this concept about this era in the Victorian era. They can choose this book or this book Mm -hmm. to read. Absolutely. I do love too how the more I talk about games and maybe it's my my bubble, the Board Game with Education podcast bubble is how much more similarities are drawn between games and great education is a lot of times I think we're creating a learning experience where games create an, an experience, a good experience for us where maybe for our students we're looking for a better learning experience. We're giving them more choices. A good game has a lot of choices or interesting choices. Absolutely. And games have, you know, the opportunity for iteration and mastery. If you don't get it the first time, then you go back and you try again and you can try again, you know, especially in video games. You know, how often when you play Super Mario Brothers, that to show my age, that's what I spent quarters on (laughs) uh, back in the day. Um, But you can always go back and try again and try again. And we need more of that in the classroom. For too long, we've you know had this kind of one and done mentality with students of, oh well, on this assignment, yeah, you got to see. Let's move on. We need to provide those opportunities for kids to keep trying until they reach the mastery level that they want. Right. It's about it's about mastery. It's that's good. I think um, you mentioned Mario too. I was at a friend's house this weekend and we played a game called uh, chicken horse (laughs) and it's (laughs) it's a pretty obscure game it's an indie game but it was it was a blast and it's it's basically mario but competitive and you're putting obstacles in the way of your self and your the people you're playing against and you get from point a to point b whoever gets there faster wins but i noticed playing it and you mentioned mario like my friend, he owned the game, so he had the jumping down. Like he could jump from one platform to the next. And he wouldn't jump too far. He would jump just far enough where it took everyone else like some time to to master the jump and finally figure out how to get from one platform to the next without jumping over the yeah. edge. But that's that's what games provide and tapping into that and bringing that into the classroom is is definitely a way I think to provide that mastery. Yeah, that's and that's just such a good metaphor for education. Of some kids are going to get it immediately and right away, and for them, you want to have be able to have them move on. But for the kids who don't get that jump right away, you want to still have that opportunity for them to kind of keep working through it, keep trying, and not punish them or you know give them a lower grade just because it took them a few more jumps to get that jump without falling down into the abyss. And I, I have, I was looking at your website and that's technologypursuit.edublogs.org. Mm-hmm. And you have a lot of resources on here. And I really, I really enjoy, you have the breakout edu digital games. Maybe you can share Have you used those in your classroom? Cause I, I've read about it a bit, but I've never really had the opportunity to use them in my class. Oh, the breakout games. Absolutely. Yeah. Breakout is just one of the great collaborative games out there. And it's, you know, taken off the idea of the escape room, except that teachers and all of their 
complete lack of time do not have the hours in the day to turn their room into a complete escape room like you might find at the escape room game places. So with the breakout, you usually have some sort of a box with a set of locks on it and then the clues hidden around the room. And students, either as a full class or you can break into teams and have a few different boxes, you know, look around for those clues and try to figure out what the codes are for those locks to get into the box. So there's just so much critical thinking in there, collaboration, teamwork. When you're talking about those 21st century skills, breakout hits all of them. I use breakout not ubiquitously throughout the year, but I try to do one or two, maybe a semester. I think they're really great for beginnings of units to introduce material, especially if kids are unfamiliar with what they're going to be going into. I think it's a great way to kind of give them a taste and then start setting up that schema of where they're going I also think they're great for those days like Halloween where the kids are just kind of checked out and you need something different and breakouts are great for those days too. Right. I think that's a perfect example too, is we talked about at the beginning of the episode, the relationship building, like this is the perfect way to bring a game into the classroom and build a relationship instead of maybe, I mean, I don't want to devalue movies, but that is an opportunity to build a relationship and Mm -hmm. give them some skills to develop as well. Oh, I would totally devalue movies. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, you know, movie, like movie scenes in the classroom or unless the class is actually fully studying a movie, but breakouts, That's another great beginning of the year activity. And I've done breakouts on the first day of school from time to time. But that's another one where you, instead on that first day of school of going over procedures, which if you're in secondary education, the kids are so overwhelmed, they're not going to remember most of it anyway. Start instead with a breakout, especially if it's a breakout that's allows them to roam about the room and see what resources are available to them, you know, where the pencil sharpeners are, where they can get more paper, uh, where the hand sanitizer is, you know, anything like that. I think the breakout is a great way to open up that year and get kids moving and working together. And they don't have to know their each other's names <laughs> in order to do that. And then even just through the game, they start learning about each other. So if you're looking for a first year activity this year, I would suggest try try a breakout. That's awesome. That's a good suggestion, I think, too. And and especially starting with something like that at the beginning of the year. I, I, I've done different things because for different reasons, but I never considered maybe doing doing something like that. Yeah, I my only suggestion would be if you can, to probably have someone beta test it. There was one year I made one and it ended up being two days long because I made it far more complicated than it needed to be. So usually, especially that first day, your breakouts don't need to be too complicated because generally the kids haven't turned their brains on quite yet. So have someone test it out And that's good for any game that you create. But uh, 
it's usually harder than you think it's going to be when you create your own breakouts is what I've found. Right. I think sometimes we're a little bit too close to it and we, we uh-huh. always need a second eye, set of eyes. Yeah. What's obvious to us then is not obvious to your players. Right. So, and again, I, I, like I said, I really like the site. And I think there are a lot of great resources. What would be maybe one thing that you would say if a teacher came to your site, they should definitely check out? Well, right now, I've been doing a lot of thinking about vocabulary and just working on different ways to have vocabulary in the classroom, because I think that's something that's so cross-disciplinary is understanding those academic words that cross over all areas and then cross over to life. So I've been trying to put or share more of how I teach vocabulary. And I think it's just a great area to have games in. I mean, even Marzano promotes games and when teaching vocabulary. So I've been trying to share more ways that I teach with vocabulary, that I assess vocabulary. And that's something that if you're looking for ideas in that area, I have quite a few of them on my blog. Awesome. Have you played uh, trap words? No. Or do you know trap words? I suggest taking a look at that because that might be a good game to add to your nice. vocabulary arsenal. It's so uh, code code names. It's the same company, okay. and I really like it because sometimes with games you might have to modify it to make sure all the students are involved in the either review process or learning process. And with trap words, how the game's already designed, everyone's involved in learning or reviewing the vocabulary words. So for example, if apples to apples, not apples to apples, sorry, uh, taboo, uh-huh. if you get the word like tree, you can't say, like you cannot say leaves outside green, but you have to have your team guess tree. Okay. Trap words does it a little bit different where the other team is creating those three words you cannot say. So the other team has to think about the, the definition of this word and create the words that the other team might use to describe the word. So then when the other team, the team leader is giving the word, they're thinking about the word with avoiding some words that the other team wrote down that they don't know. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the team is trying to guess the word. So you have everyone involved in the process. And then also the other team that's not going is listening for their trap words. So instead of like just kind of checking out as the other team, maybe when you're playing taboo and guessing the word, um, you're really trying to pay attention. Are they going to say my trap word? Okay, well, I have it ordered now. So it reminds me (laughs) of the way that you describe it. It reminds me of the game Just One that I... Oh, I have heard this is really good. Maybe you can explain it Um, a little bit. I haven't played it, but I ordered a couple boxes because I want to use it with my college comp students because I want them to write game directions for uh, process writing at the beginning of the year. But I think the difference, I think, between just one and trap words is that just one doesn't have the two separate teams. Instead, it's just one team. So it's kind of a the focus is on collaboration. So you have, you know, the one person who's supposed to guess the word and everyone else on the team writes down their one word clue to that word. But 
if anyone else on the team writes down that same word for their clue, then they can't use that word. Okay. Yeah. Actually, uh, some friends, we had a language exchange meetup last month and they played oh, okay. that game and it does sound fun. I never got to play it, but yeah, now that you're explaining it, that's, that sounds, at least that's the game that they played. And I think that was the title now that you're connecting cool. the two. So yeah. So I'm excited to try that one out and see how it goes. Yeah, that's really cool too, because it does involve everyone in that review process or learning process in the game. Exactly. Too. You know, any of those games where you can, where you have to be in all the time, you know, thinking all the time, where, as you said, you can't check out. Those are the games I really like for right. the classroom. <laughs> right. So yeah, I'd have to modify it in some way, at least. All right. So before we move into the final segment question, is there anything else that you'd want to share with our audience or anything else that maybe we could talk about? Just play games. You know, there is something. I just got back from the serious play conference and Greg Tapo, who great writer and wrote the book, the game believes in you, which everyone should read. But during his session, it really resounded with me because it's something I've been thinking about is not everything in your classroom has to be a full-fledged game. And, you know, some people will get a bit pedantic out in academia about what is a game, what makes a game. And rather than get caught up in what is a game, what isn't a game, just make learning fun and playful because how did we learn growing up? We played. And rather than making sure that activities in the room have game or have win conditions or, you know, a set of rules or, you know, sometimes just throwing in a game mechanic or just making something just a little bit more um, whimsical and playful can make all the difference in classes. So, you know, game-based learning is great. I definitely encourage games. It's not something that has to be the, a huge focus every single day. Just add a little something fun to each class that you do. I love that. I think you're you're right. I Even just something that I do with my university students sometimes, because I have... Uh, students that not are that aren't always the ex most excited to learn English because they don't see the value in it mm -hmm. at this point in their life I would say I would maybe say about 40 to 30 percent not all of them but there's some classes where they're not super excited to be in my class it's a required class to graduate so I just try to do things that kind of <laughs> engage them in some way so I'll bring like just a gigantic dice oh, yeah. to my class and it's something so simple that I just write six like maybe questions on the board and I call in a student and they mm -hmm. roll the dice and then after they answer they get to throw the dice to one of their friends or classmates so just something so simple I think it adds to learning and, and I guess wakes them up a little bit perfect example of just that little bit of a game mechanic just a little bit of fun it doesn't have to be a full-fledged game but just something to make something more random and unexpected I think that's a great idea all right so we talked about a lot of games we gave a lot of feedback or insights into how to use games and gamification in class now before we say goodbye. We have our final segment okay. question. 
And that is if you are on a deserted island and you only have three board games to play, Mm -hmm. what games would you choose? Okay, so uh, my first one would be code names because I just love code names. But I do want the picture version, not the word version, because I think the pictures just add a whole new dimension to it because they can be interpreted in so many ways. Um, yeah. Let's see. For my second game, I'm going to have to go apples to apples. Just that's a classic. And I think it's such a great social game where there's not a whole lot of deep critical thinking to it. You can play that one and just have fun. Okay. And for my last one, I guess for that one, I'm going to go with my current favorite game. You know, my favorite game of the summer, I guess, which is Decrypto. And that was when I learned uh, back in May. Actually, Michael Matera taught us this in Omaha, of all places. There was, uh, uh, what oh, is awesome. it called? Spielbound? There's some place down, downtown. Oh, yeah, Spielbound. Yeah. I love Spielbound. So yeah. we, there were about eight of us. We had Team Nebraska and Team Wisconsin, because there were four from Nebraska, four from Wisconsin oh, there no. for this conference. <laughs> and so, and it was Michael's birthday. So we went down and he, we had him pick out the game since it was his birthday. And he taught us how to play Decrypto. So it's kind of like a two team uh, game, but you have to try and figure out what the other team's four code words are through kind of just this deduction and thinking. So that one definitely requires a lot more critical thinking than apples to apples. Um, but yeah, those are my games. I think they all do tend to have a similar little thread through them of language and deduction for the most part. Right. Yeah, the the word type yeah. games, I'd say. Codenames was one of the first games that brought me deeper into the hobby sure. i guess I, yeah so, i mean it's a, it's a good gateway yeah, drug really like game <laughs> right <laughs> all right so again melissa thank you for sharing your insights before we go where can people find you or reach out to you or do you have anything that you're working on definitely follow me on the twitter uh, i'm at at m pillow m p i l a k o w or feel free to email me. I have two emails. The one I check most is mpilikowski at vcsbadger.net. But you can also find me at mpilikow at gmail.com. What I'm working on right now, um, I really kind of working on early drafts of a game-based learning with literacy book. Uh, working on my doctorate studies, and that takes up a lot of time. But And also, I just try and update my blog every week or two and just try and give some practical ideas that people can take, people can modify, hopefully just use in their own classrooms and make their own teaching more fun. I mean, teaching should be fun. If we want learning to be fun, teaching has to be fun, too. Right. I think that's a perfect way to end it. As teachers, we have to enjoy, we have to enjoy what we're teaching or <laughs> students aren't going to exactly. enjoy learning. If you're not having fun, I can promise you they're not having fun. So use yourself as kind of that gauge. Right. Awesome. Well, thank you again. I know our listeners will 
find a lot of value in this episode. Thank you for listening in this week. If you like what you heard, be sure to let us know. You can find us on social media as Board Gaming with Education or BGE Games, or email us at podcast at boardgamingwitheducation.com. If you want to support our podcast, be sure to check out our support page on our website. As always, teach better, learn more, and most importantly, play more. Thank you for listening, and until next time.